I don't know how to describe today's episode other than just saying that it's entertaining and educational. On today's episode, we bring on a manufacturer who shares their story of how they've grown their building products business from something small to something great. We cover marketing tactics, sales tactics, channel tactics, everything across the board. I promise you this is one of the most entertaining episodes you're going to listen to. And I'm just so thrilled that we get to share this manufacturer's story. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside Beth Popnikolov. And today, we have an awesome show planned for you. We've got Armin Alagian, who is one of the partners at Arto. Welcome to the show, Armin. Hey, thank you very much, Zach. So, Armin, we were just chatting and prep for the show, and you've got a pretty interesting backstory on Arto. I'd love to just hear a little bit about your business first, and then let's talk about how you've grown the business and your backstory on top of that. Cool. So, the company is a manufacturer of luxury building materials. Precisely, we manufacture finishes for walls and floors, for exteriors and interiors. We do everything from your last house that you're going to build to your fifth house to a hospitality location, which you can't afford to eat at or stay at. So we've become that by accident. When we were younger, we were a commodity product. We were way more affordable than anybody could own it. Literally in 2007, I would make a joke that we'd have a gardener, a teacher, and George Soros own our tile. And literally, they all owned our tile back then. So now, it's only Soros who owns my tile, Soros. So, I mean, it's really changed over the years what our demographic is. It is true that we make a period historical tile. So it's, it's uh, people that really want a finish. Because if it was based on price, I would lose. It's based on how we make it and its utility and the story behind it. I'm curious to know, you just talked about anybody could buy it. Like, was that changed? Did that change happen because of the recession or did it happen because you saw that there was an opportunity in the market? Talk me through that decision-making process to say, you know what, we're going to go all in on luxury. What's that joke about the lobster boiling and he didn't know he was dying until the last minute? I guess we became this by accident. I would tell you, I wish I was that smart to map out the future. It was survival of 2008 that got us to this place. And I think the recession, Great Recession, like depression, had us grow. And we kept our prices low through the growth. And we gained market share. And then we are in the metropolitan area of LA, Los Angeles, California. So my minimum wage is currently, I think, fourteen eighty-five. So that means that I pay more than that to people that have been working here for a while. So my competitors are in Asia and in South America. And in, believe it or not, Spain and Portugal are cheap as well. So my competitors in my category of, of hard surfaces are really, really inexpensive. They're not cheaply made. That that's, depends on what the product is. But it's definitely to survive in the city, we have to raise the prices. I don't want to, you know, this sounds, I'm going to try and say it appropriately. I look at our employees in the eyes, and I don't want to feel like I'm stealing from them. Uh, we want to make sure that they're, you know, at least have the ability to live in the city. A lot of them are two-family income homes. That works out. But if it was sole provider here, you know, I, it sounds stupid, but 19 bucks an hour is not a lot of money to have a family in the city. 
we're not quite New York, but it's definitely not another metropolitan area or another or the country. So talk us through the evolution of moving from a commodity to a luxury. I know you say it happened by accident, but how did you or did you lean into it once you recognized this is how we're carving out our corner of the market? That's a good question. I think by listening to the customers, it was basically what came first. It was the customer's perception of who we were. And we took for granted that we were handmade because that's how we lived. Took for granted it was made in California. That's who we are. So as we listened to our customers, we realized that we were special. Listening to our customers and who they were. And also, too, as we ship the product farther, farther east, the price goes up because of weight. I mean, I'm literally making very dense and heavy product. You know, what does a um, iPhone cost? A thousand bucks. A pallet of my tile, maybe a thousand bucks. So as you go farther, farther east, shipping makes an issue. But we ship what would be normally boring building materials all the way to Oklahoma City, to Miami, things that you can buy locally in those markets. We make them here because it's made by us. Uh, another, you know, do you remember the old joke about Havana cigars? No? no? Tell me. Tell uh, us. The story is that they rolled the cigars in the shade of a tree overlooking the harbor on, on the inner thighs of, of ladies, right? It's a, it's a maybe derogatory joke, but I always say here that because we make it by hand, people really appreciate that it's made by hand. The owners are on the property. All these things that we took for granted, people appreciate. And the authenticity of us not knowing what we do I think people like that. Uh, and I, like I was telling you, I don't know if you're on the phone, Beth, but I was telling uh, Zach in the, in the beginning part that I hope as we realize our superpowers that we don't ruin it by not becoming humble and, uh, and not beca- yeah, becoming less humble, becoming uh, arrogant, because that is our, our superpower is honesty. And it sounds so cliche, but falling out of bed the way the way you see me now is the way I, I talk to my family and customers. I say things that are inappropriate, things that are appropriate, but they're all out of, uh, I don't know, just trying to bring joy to the other person. We joke often that my brother and I might have been in hospitality of some sort, whether restaurants here or hotel baking, because we just like the idea of servicing people. That's really interesting. I'd be curious to know, Armin, you mentioned you listened to your customers and you realized you had something special. Like you've got this handcrafted, well thought out, beautiful product. Talk us through like the moment where you all looked at each other and said, you know what, let's go all in on luxury. Like, let's just go, let's stop being all things to all people or competing on price. And let's just go all in on our marketing, our messaging, who we are, and just go for very high end. That was my first peer learning experience since high school. So in 2009, Goldman Sachs had a program called Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses. We were, I think, cohort number two or three in the LA market. I think there was like six cohorts. There was New York had their third one. We were the third one. So six, we we're the sixth group to get it done. And it was uh, basically MBA in growth. There was nothing else other than growing your business. And in that peer, we had to give them my first elevator pitch. And that's how I got to it. I mean, it wasn't by me coming to conclusion on it was me being forced to do the work. So for me, peer learning is important and peer accountability is important because it helped me get to the word luxury. When you tell strangers what you do, I make tile. First of all, they can't believe someone actually makes tile. tile. They think you lay tile. 
because tile usually is considered being machine made and with, you know, automated. So you make tile, you install tile. I have a bathroom. No, I, I make tile. Okay. Then what kind of tile? You know, luxury tile. And that's, that's how we got to that place. And that course, that class, I think it was back then it was longer. It was 29 Saturdays or 30 Saturdays over 10 hours per session. It was a long, it was a long wow. day. And I learned a lot. I love peer learning. That's why I joined Vistage. I love peer learning so much. So one of the things we talked about that's related to that, so you've got your elevator pitch. One of the things you mentioned, Armin, at the very beginning of us chatting was that it's not just products that sell, that it's really brand and that that's a missing piece for a lot of building material manufacturers. And they're not understanding how to properly tell their story. I'd love to hear how your story ends up, like how the story of Arto is told. So, you know, we all read the, all the books. I have books all over my office. But you can't see I have the boring wall behind me. I learned through osmosis and through titles of books. The first books that I acquired on marketing, of course, were the Guerrilla series, Guerrilla Marketing, blah, 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 blah. You know those books? So I have a lot of stupid sayings. So this is not the, maybe the right context, but it will explain a lot, is poverty makes good music and good food. Best, best food in the world is usually poverty food. And the best food in the music usually poverty music, right? In fact, my wife and I celebrated 25 years of marriage Tuesday and Wednesday. We had cassoulet. Cassoulet is basically from what I, I learned how they made it. It's basically white beans and meat products put into a into a casserole and baked. But it's baked like 17 times. And I'm assuming cassoulet was basically your mom putting 15 leftovers into a pot and cooking it 15 <laughs> times and covering with breadcrumbs. You know, yeah, cassoulet, yeah. have you seen it before? Mm-hmm. I know, yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, it's French food, right? It's poverty food. So basically our lack of funds, to, we self-finance. Our lack of funds required us to find ways to get to market. In 1999, I owned, I think for the entire planet, the word thin brick when no one was on the internet, right? I used to sell a lot of thin brick on the East Coast. And through bulletin boards, I think I sold a job that was big for me, I don't know, $10,000 job. Uh, in 1999, might have been a lot of money. It probably isn't a lot of money now, but to some guy building a, a custom house in South Carolina. So poverty got us to the place where, hey, we have this thing called the internet. And back then, the, my marketing budget was my my web service to host the site. And then I've gotten fat now. I mean, I spend money on Instagram and on Google uh, Blue Letters. But basically, poverty, I mean, you know, 10,000 bucks of Instagram ads over 60 days or over one week or over one month is, my gosh, forget about print. You know, why would you even do print? Yeah. So, uh, and in fact, I'm a big believer in, in free marketing. I do believe what you're doing here is spectacular. I want to do the same thing either in video format or a podcast format is visiting local manufacturers in my market of different industries and asking dumb questions. I, I am a very curious kind of guy. And so asking those stupid, dumb questions you don't want to ask, I'm not scared to ask those dumb questions. Well, I want to know, you said something there in passing, you know, in 1999, you went online and you started marketing when no one was really doing it. I'd love to know a little about how your marketing has evolved and where you guys are focusing from a marketing standpoint. Is it all digital? Is it all Instagram? Are you focused on any geographic regions? Can you talk us through that strategy a bit? So the first thing of Fight Club is, to talk about Fight Club, right? So the first thing about strategy is pretend you know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I know that I have to move forward. That's my strategy in, oh, in marketing. That. So we're, we're always testing. 
So things I've tested, I've tested uh, keywords, I've tested geography, I've tested Instagram, do your thing on your own. I've tested all of them and I get different results, right? So if I just want to uh, not think about advertising for a while, I'll put on automatic pilot and I'll tell Instagram, hey, use your magic, figure out who my people are. I'll come back to you in two weeks, right? That's one way of doing it, right? And it, and it works, right? And we've been very lucky in our industry. Our, you know, you're talking about, I heard one of your podcasts about the hidden stuff, right? The, the wood behind the drywall. So we're lucky, right? I'm cheating. I'm a pretty thing. I'm on the outside. I'm, I'm that brick behind you. I'm that plastic oh, behind thank you. you. Yeah. Yeah. And influencing is way easier on Instagram and on YouTube and on our site because we use pictures to sell. Literally, when I take a picture of a house, it's not I'm the wood behind the house. I'm easy. I'm the I'm what's on the top house. I make it look pretty or not pretty. So we have it really, really easy. I mean, I literally it's easy to sell the product in my point of view, because it's all picture-based. And every project, if you go to our website, if you go to our website, to our projects page, we call it a testimonial page because it's basically every picture of a project is a testimony to us, someone trusting us. And as I think you probably know, the, the biggest thing for architects and homeowners and contractors is, is I don't want to, it's almost a, a fear of failure that causes things not to change. So I don't want to try that new thing this works. And so you don't want to test out a new piece of hardware, a new anchor, a new tile manufacturer, whatever it may be. Risk in building materials is is huge. And the fear of uh, failure is huge. And so having jobs in a project shown is a big deal to us. I think I got on a tangent there. I'm sorry. I don't know what the question was. No, I think you answered my question. You answered my question around, well, what are you guys doing from a marketing standpoint? And what you're basically saying is we make no assumptions and we try everything. We drop the things that don't work and we keep picking up things that do work. But my next question to you is, well, like, who do you market to? And like, how do you sell to them? Are you marketing to an, a homeowner, an interior designer, an architect? Is it commercial and residential? Are you all e-commerce or do you work through dealers? This is what I actually know. We sell to all the above and we sell our products to dealers. So I influence the A and D. I influence the mother and the father or the owner of the property. I don't do the contractor very well because they're last in line of my money, but definitely the design professional and the homeowner or project owner, because I do commercial and residential. And then our repeat customers, dealers. I toyed with doing a direct-to-consumer. It does work. It's not who we are. We work with our dealer network. And I'm not going to give you some secret sauce because I'm still developing it. I really mean that. But we're a dealer first company. And you're in the, some college town, right? Where are you? Blacksburg, Virginia. Yeah, so okay. it's college town. Okay, college town. So when you want to buy a tile for your house, that's not the normal Home Depot or Lowe's product, which is nothing wrong with that. And you want to feel or touch it, you have two choices. You can search online, which is how we discovered as well. And you can go to your local tile shop that's not home to Lowe's and ask questions and do discovery there. Our goal is to have discovery online and discovery in town. And we're building, in theory, we're doubling up. Whereas online only, online only is, it works, but it's definitely more, it's actually harder because you have to actually get their attention. SEO is very important and the right ads to the right people are important. 
Whereas you can be a little bit lazier. I mean that literally a little bit lazier and cheaper by having a combination where your dealer is your partner and you're pushing. So you're either pulling to the dealer by having displays and showrooms or you're pushing from digital, digital world or digital or print world into the store. So it's anybody and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something we talk a lot about is depending upon how you sell, you know, finding the right ways to either drive traffic to a dealer distributor, or if you're selling direct, how do you get that conversion or that sale online? I'd be very curious, regardless of a listener, whether it's a manufacturer, whatever they sell, like what advice would you give them? I mean, like what would you tell them if they're thinking about, man, I need to experiment more in my marketing. I need to push the boundaries. What would you tell that, that manufacturer? The first question is, is that do you want to coast to the end? First, be self-aware. So, you know, one of the first things we learned at Goldman Sachs was our first day, our first hour was to write our exit strategy down on a piece of paper and put an envelope. And then we opened up the last day of our class. So my current exit strategy is death, right? I, I, I have a, a lot. I have, it's true. It's true. It'd be really, yeah, funny. Be It'd be blunt, really right? funny if like you didn't, you didn't provide any context. My, my current strategy is death. Next question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I don't have fancy cars. I don't have a lot of expenses. My, my hobby, my mistress is the business. So but for me, it's brand building. That's my game. I like to build a brand. My goal is for this to live one day past my death. So for me, it's about getting awareness of the company. That's why I'm doing this. I didn't hesitate when you guys offered this opportunity for a platform for all 10 of your customers. Sorry, was that a joke? How many? What is your following on here? Is it 1,000? 220? Dozens. Dozens at least. Dozens. <laughs> Dozens. <laughs> you, should, you should. But, but uh, back to that dozens, it's one that pays the bills. Yeah. Right. It's two that pay the bill. In our case, with the Seth Godin concept, right? Just find your customer. Who is that customer? You know, in our case, our customer appreciates, I guess you might say, slow cooking. They appreciate the handcrafted, the story, the irregularity of the product. You know, it's not porcelain that's made perfectly on a machine and rectified. Something, too, that I'm stealing from a mutual mentor, a mutual uh, speaker in our world of marketing is what Gary Vaynerchuk has said one time. He goes, this generation of business owners of branded products get to set the story for the next thousand years. Because, yeah, there was a still picture from the 60s. Yeah, there was a picture of a building. But all of us that are recording either this podcast minus a nuclear attack will be here forever somewhere. So, and the YouTube videos we do for work, our pictures that we create, they'll be here till the end of time. And we get to set the story and the pace forever, even though we're not the founders, the people in this generation of people taking advantage of this platform of recording zeros and ones is, it's powerful. I mean, really, we are, we're cheap. It's like we get to buy the real estate for a dollar, even though buying an ad costs more than it did in 1999. Or is it really in relativity? I don't know in inflation, but we're buying history really cheap. We're buying history really, really cheap. I mean, you and I being, you know, you're going to put a pot when Apple is out of business and Spotify and where else do you distribute your your podcast on? Everywhere. Stitcher, so Spotify. When everywhere is gone, then we'll be gone. But basically, you and I can be dead in the ground and this will live on forever, which is exciting and important and cheap. And 
This is what people don't, they don't think about a hundred years. underpriced attention. About, they think about next quarter. They think about next yeah. quarter. They think about, they don't think about, hey, well, the ones that hire you, you're paid too much at your job. If you want to look for a job, you're not going to find the job that you like as much or that will pay you what you like. And of course, it isn't paying what you like or it's not. But if you're in a great position and you're not taking advantage of the fact that you can make the pace for the business, that's, you know, that's awesome. And I'm assuming that, you know, what's the bell curve on ownership of our type of businesses? Are they 10% mom pop, 40% midsize and 10% monsters? What's the, how's it look in the market? Oh, that's a good question. I actually don't know the answer to that. The ones that are in the middle, like whoever that is, you know, you know, 10 to $100 million, and they're still closely held, those guys have the opportunity to, I mean, to be there forever. I mean, if they do, they do a good job recording their story. Well, yeah, because they have the resources to do it, and they don't have the bureaucracy that takes forever to get things done. Correct. You're absolutely right. Yes and no happens real quick. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about real estate. I would call it attention. Like, the cost of attention today is so little. People. Amen. Like, you know, it's so little. And I think what's interesting on the show is that when we interview luxury brands, like luxury brands get this idea. It's not just about the product. It's about the brand. Because if you look at it, like I was looking at this, you know who spends the most money on Google? Do you know who spends the most money with Google on advertising? Amazon. It is Amazon. Do you know what Google's starting to do? They're waking up and they're going, well, why don't we sell things? Why don't we sell things? Because right. they're, they're spending billions of dollars with us. They're clearly making money on that. Why don't we do it? And this matters to manufacturers because it's not where I'm selling, but it's how am I connecting with my audience? How am I getting them to remember me? People still trust the Google brand. They still trust that. Agreed. I agree with you. How do I get them to trust Arto? How do I get them to trust Venvio? How do I get them to trust if you're listening? Like, how do I get them to trust my brand? So regardless of your point, if iTunes goes away or Google Play or Spotify goes away, my brand doesn't go away. Correct. And Google's still cheap. I mean, I don't know if they're actually selling things right now, but using my fingers, uh, audience, but on the top part on a landing page, they have those products there. Those are just ad spots of pictures that go to your website, correct? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, those are yeah the, the product display network. Yeah. Those yeah, are a little the, underpriced. If you follow a platform and you see when they release a new feature, typically that feature is a bit underpriced because they're trying to test it. And so the prioritizing, yes. go, oh, let's Let's see. And so I'm always like, oh, there's a new feature. Let's double down. Let's try that out because... Here's an idea for, for me, which I, I talk and I haven't done it yet. So you can use it for your, your people out there is instead of selling a product, how about giving away a sample kit? You know, you do a, a search on... I'm going to use your old client, some deck company you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a deck, hey, you're not going to sell, you know, two pallets of decky material through Google Yet. Maybe you could. But getting my wife to order a free sample kit through that network, you know, and that cost me 10 bucks for a lead that can make me, you know, 10 grand and I'm making my dealers happy too. That's a no brainer. I mean, those are the simple stuff. That's, that's guerrilla warfare to me. He's like, instead of making some big, you know, do 25 print ads and have 14 social media platforms, you know, you can do simple stuff like that's mechanical. Literally you're buying a brand and you're spent getting a lead. You build a brand by being a search. Hey, what's this company? I never heard it before. And they have a free sample. So you got a, your name recognition and you sold a, you, got, you bought a customer. Well, you bought a lead all on their own searching. You know, what would they, they're in need of that product, right? They're looking for it. Like, I don't know about you, Beth. I'm like, this is fascinating. Advice from Armin. Now, Please now, come back. Can I say the word bullshit on this? I'm being real with you. <laughs> Beth will tell you, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty We're honest with nice. people. We're I tell not people nice all the people. time. We're not nice. Okay. 
No, we're pretty. If we're, we're saying nice horrible. things to you, we're not nice. We're honest. Or, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Because one of the things that uh, here and here's another thing too. Another advice, right? Four episodes, great. How much am I going to do? You know, are who's going to actually? You know, that I give you that. Like, we have that idea right there. Mm-hmm. Imagine that we have to do it now. It's not just talking about it; it's doing it. Yeah. That's oh, the I other part my- of it because we could talk for four hours, but then we got to actually do it. Oh, I tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, ideas. People say ideas are hard. Ideas are sometimes the easiest part. Execution yeah. is what separates. Like, go look at Starbucks. Yeah. They sell coffee. Yes. They just execute incredibly well. Hey, Amen. And I was thinking about why they're successful. And I think that's what the medium-sized manufacturer of building materials can do. And is they have the ability to personalize your drink better than any of the coffee guys. My daughter, one of my daughters, is working at a. You can bleep up the name Barnes and Noble, Starbucks, and she was looking <laughs> at the app that order your coffee from Coffee Bean compared to Starbucks, and the app for Starbucks has way more features. You're very much correct, and it's crazy. I don't know that I don't remember the exact stat, but the amount of money that Starbucks has in their app, it's like more than like a bunch of different banks. Like the amount of money that is in the Starbucks app that they have just sitting, oh, you mean sitting in cash, I didn't sitting know in cash. Cool it's I need to, I'll find it out. I'll put it in the show notes. It's unreal. It's more than like a majority of banks in America. It's literally like billions of dollars sitting in their oh, app. Because people pay through the app. So people, yes. like, right. well, because well, yeah. you refill it. it, you refill it. And so they're like, Oh, yeah. I, I literally have like, I have $15 on the app, but that $15 will sit there for a week. And then Starbucks will earn money off of that, that cash on hand. They make money on the cash on hand. And it's also their line of credit. Is what's the law for for that money? <laughs> can they can they can spend it? It's their money. Well, Armin, this has been awesome. We just I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. If someone wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Currently, the best way to reach out is DM me on Instagram at Arto Brick. Easy to find. It's on everyone's phone. There's no email app. Just, I work that with another person. I'm at, I'm on there actively. So DM at Arto Brick at Arto Brick, A-R-T-O-B-R-I-C-K. I always say I'm like Celine Dion on the, on the Instagram of my category. You know Celine Dion? <laughs> well, now you, yeah, of, of course. course. Now you have to tell me why Celine yeah, Dion. What? Well, I, why? Well, yes. now I'm like Justin Bieber. So she plays in Vegas, right? You know who she is. I'm never going to go to a show, but people know our brand on my category. You may never, never go to the show, but you know who I am. So oh, in my like category... That. Yeah, we had a chance. I mean, now you can check this out, but uh, get a chance. Check this out on Instagram. We, you know, oh, I've already you. looked at it. It's gorgeous. Well, I do uh, spike some things, but you know, for a small company having forty thousand followers and having interactions of 800, 900 people with no boosting and people writing notes, and you see the save button there, like save, like you know, as many times as liked. That's exciting. Yeah. No, company. you guys have incredible engagement. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Armin. We appreciate you coming on the show. If you want more great content like this, go to venvio.com slash podcast. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popniglov. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikolov. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit venvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.